0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. True Detective is back, and the Ringers Chris Ryan and Jason Concepcion are our guides as we navigate the twisting pathways of season three's plots, themes, and characters on the Flat Circle, a True Detective After Show. Follow Jason and Chris as they chase down leads, explore each episode's cultural context, and discuss true crime cases that mirror the ones in the show. Join the guys live every Sunday night after True Detective on the Ringers YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook
1: pages.
2: And sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk.
1: Now! Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com, and joining me in this zone of silent reflection... Oh! It's Jason Concepcion! Woo! All right, guys, no Greenwald today. He's still battling... Uh, I mean, he's just, at this point, he's got, like, 19th century lunger cough. That's unfortunate. No disrespect to any is out there. Is that still something that you can get now? Yeah, I believe it is in the mines, yes. Okay. Well, no disrespect to you guys. Uh, in the mines. <laughs> in the mines. Jason and I are in the content mines. We're digging oh, yeah. out diamonds for you guys because we're doing a True Detective after show called oh! Flat Circle, and that's coming on Sunday night. There will right. be two episodes of True Detective up on that's Sunday right. night, the first two episodes of season three, and then we'll have two episodes of the Flat Circle for you to watch. And uh, Jason and I, I think, <laughs> we were waiting for a show like this to do something like this so that we could talk yes. about all the crazy shit we read and think about when True Detective's not the on. The dark side. But this show is definitely, we're not going to talk too much about spoilers, but basically the p- purpose of having Jason on today, and Miles is going to join me a little bit later to talk more about True Detective, but it was just to c- kind of get people excited about True Detective being back. It's back on its bullshit. Yeah, and it, that's, that's what I want to talk about. Yes. I want to talk to Miles about the largely forgotten at this point season two. But for us, for our purposes, I think one of the things I, we can safely say about the first season is, at least in what we've seen, is it's returning a lot to its roots as oh, a yeah. show.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, True Detective season one, it created this vibe where it wasn't really about the crime. It's a procedural yes, but what you were really getting into was this deep philosophical discussion between two people. Yeah. One who has an extremely dark view of life in which uh, life is basically suffering. Uh, Consciousness was a mistake created by evolution. Uh, (laughs) There is no God, et cetera, et cetera. And another person who's just like, hey, man, you're bumming me out. Yeah.
1: Keep it within the chalk lines. Let's yeah, yeah. like
0: I want to punch. I want to punch in and punch out, and that's it. Yeah, and from what we've seen thus far, again steering away from spoilers, season three is definitely sniffing those fumes. Yeah, where yes, a crime has occurred, and that takes center stage, but it's more about uh, this kind of existential exploration about. Why people do bad things. Yes. Uh, why does that happen? Why does that occur? What does it mean that people do these awful things to each other? And it's really been fascinating thus far.
1: Yeah, it's it's an, it's really—the the first two episodes, I think, um, you have to kind of put yourself in the mindset. You remember, you're starting at the beginning of a case. I yeah. think, like, at the its fever pitch, season one was this incredible combination of great acting, Woody Harrelson and Matthew yes. McConaughey at the top— it spawned an online culture that at the time was like really, really, really invigorating because you had all these Reddit sleuths kind of diving deep into weird fiction and illusions that might be in the script and try to pull threads. And it became its own kind of sensation. Is it, you know, people watching True Detective investigating True Detective? Yes. And that was in some ways some of the inspiration behind me and Jason doing the show this year. And then at the same time, it was actually like a really interesting crime show set in the 90s and it had like, you know, Wu-Tang Clan and it had like this kind of abandoned limbo kind of atmosphere in Louisiana where you're not really sure like where you are or what year it is and the chronology is kind of mystifying and... Just all this incredible shit. And at its height, it combined all that stuff with some truly virtuoso filmmaking from Carrie Fukunaga. Yes. And it was one of the first shows that I think popularized the idea of one director directing an entire right. season of a show. Obviously, that was not uh, an amicable breakup between Nick Pizzolatto yes. and Carrie Fukunaga. The season two was handled sort of by committee. Season three, I would say the first two episodes really return to form visually with Jeremy Sonia taking over the reins. Unfortunately, he only directs the first two. That's right. But you savor the flavor while you have it, though. The first two episodes,
0: Sonia really is uh, hearkening back to the visual palette that Fukunaga set up. There's... a dreamlike quality often to kind of everyday settings, which was something that Fukunaga really mined for some really surreal effects, these yeah. kind of like moonscape shots of Louisiana. You get that feel here. And there's also this kind of exploration of existence, of deeper themes, deeper philosophical themes that I think is really interesting. Where I think it really builds off of one is this feeling of tapping into panic, Mm -hmm. cultural panic, uh, fear of the unknown. Yeah. That one kind of did, but not in the way that three feels like it's going to. Yeah,
1: one is definitely like these two guys cross the river sticks and like are kind of like in hell. Yes. And they're trying to get back in some ways. Three... And, you know, I read an interview with Nick Pizzolato where he sort of waved this off a little bit, but, like, it's kind of not up to him. Yeah. Three definitely feels like the way a crime can impact a community. Yes. And it starts looking at the ripple effects of when something inexplicable and unspeakable happens, how people start grasping at straws to yes. explain it. And even in the most basic ways, the way everybody kind of, like, closes ranks, and mm-hmm. everybody is just like, well, what can I believe and what can I trust? And you start to go from, I believe in my community and my town, to maybe I only believe in the four walls I have, to maybe I only believe in the person next to me to believe I don't trust anybody. And that kind of, like, paranoia that settles into a small community, and that's something that Saulnier really gets, I thought, in his three movies that he's done, Hold the Dark, that's on mm-hmm. Netflix, Green Room, which is about— punk rock band who happens to play a bar a that's white being bar. Yeah. run by white supremacists and they like chase them and pursue them through this really small northwestern town and then Blue Ruin which is his first movie which is this really harrowing. darkly comic harrowing thriller about vengeance uh, starring Macon Blair. It's really incredible. So any Jeremy Solonay's movies you check out but he really gets small towns. Yeah. He really gets quasi-rural communities and he really gets the tension that can come out of crime. There's a theme running through the first couple episodes
0: of of this season that I think you and I really, really dig, which is this kind of degradation of the American dream, of the suburbs, of the promise of America in the sense that, you know, there is this feeling coming out of World War II where every generation is going to have it better than the previous generation. And...
1: If you Post- work hard, your kids can have a better life than have a you better- and on and on and on. Yeah. Two
0: cars in the, in the driveway, et cetera, et cetera. And what you're seeing in True Detective, uh, the first two episodes, is, that's, uh, is a community grappling with the fact that that promise rings very hollow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got these people that are home from Vietnam and they're grappling with the effects of fighting a war that everybody wants to forget about. You've got people living in this blue-collar community where uh, clearly working hard and paying your taxes does not hold the same hope and promise that it once did. And then you've got this horrible crime that occurs there which calls all of these things into question at once. And that's that's where you and I have really fallen into like five different rabbit holes about the kind of conspiracies and panics that gripped – America throughout the eighties and early nineties.
1: Yeah, I mean it has overtones of West Memphis Three. Yeah, it has overtones of some of the uh, Satanic Panic stories that already
0: panic. Yeah,
1: you can read about with anything from I mean, I guess like Remembering Satan. Lawrence Wright's book about uh, a terrible incident that took place in Olympia, Washington, in the late eighties. You know, it's, it's definitely morbid stuff, but I think what's really fascinating to us is the way in which it's tapping into this idea that you're talking about, like, that these people were, be- like, essentially watching the dignity of their lives yes. decay a little bit. And at the same time, you've got a president coming into office right when this season starts in 1980. So the season takes place in 1980, 1990, and 2015, mm-hmm. and if centers around the disappearance of these two kids. And Mahershala Ali and Stephen Dorth's cop characters are investigating these disappearances, and we're sort of giving— we're getting a little bit of information piecemeal across these three timelines where, you know, we can see the effects it's had on Mahershala Ali's character, but we're still trying to figure out, like, what happened to this person? What happens to this person? And what you're seeing in the 80 timeline is that weird juxtaposition of it's morning in America. You've mentioned this before when we were recording our our after-show stuff there's this great scene, this is not a spoiler at all, but like Scoot McNary works in a factory that makes a lot of parts for school buses. And, you know, there's this great scene that Solnay shoots of just guys kind of like really mechanically going through this work of like assembling Mm -hmm. these these parts. And you can feel it doesn't have the propaganda film nature of like that 1950s, we're building the suburbs now, man. We're building America.
0: We're building General
1: Motors. It's Detroit is pumping out the most desired cars in the world. No, it's like... We're building cogs, you know yeah, what I mean, we're hang- we're build- and we're hanging on by our fingernails. By yeah. our fingernails, and even, even like on the surface, you have you, your wife, your two kids. But the wife, like you know, you yeah. guys have problems, and your kids are like remote, and like all this stuff is happening. So, I, I think one of the things I love about this show is just that it, all the shit it makes me think about. Yeah, as much as here. the same as much as the show itself. I mean, that's a great point because that
0: really was um, so much of the driving force behind one was wow, now I want to all of a sudden know about all these weird fiction authors and Carcosa and The Yellow King. I want to know about that. I want to know about uh, things that were happening in Louisiana in the 90s. Uh, I want to know about uh, nihilism. Like there's all these different rabbit holes that you can go down. That more than anything, more than any kind of thematic thing is what you're getting from three. And it – Listen. It may just be that these are a lot of topics of interest. Like I am very, uh, I am very interested in the way societies like fall apart piece mm-hmm. by piece. But there's just so many different ways that you can follow this show and different lines of interest that you can follow. And I th- we've you released a syllabus on theringer.com yeah, today. Yeah. Which is, you know, things that you can research on your own for seasons one, two and three. We're going to have a reading list and a watching list that comes out for season three. There's just like a lot of a lot of topics that you can research on your own that are fascinating,
1: yeah, and I've even been just like, i've I'm building a Spotify playlist called Fatville, which is about like it's essentially just like stuff that may show up in mm-hmm. the show, but also just music from mostly nineteen eighty. yeah. And what's so fascinating is the variety of stuff that you're seeing, which is everything from, metal getting more like mainstream popular and yeah. coming with that the lack of understanding of some of the symbolism and iconography that we associate with metal. So you have like Sabbath and yeah. AC DC and these 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 harder rock bands kind of getting popular or getting massively popular in ACDC's case because they went from like pretty cool hard rock bar band to like stadium shows. Yes. And then at the same time you still also have like Springsteen and Bob Seeger and, like, some more of the classic rock sound. And then you have, like, the Cure and Joy division. Yeah, just weird. Uh, and they're, like, articulating this thing that's happening, this in post-industrial malaise that's kind of taking place across the world. It's
0: an incredible moment in strangeness because what you have in 1980 is the disillusionment of the baby boomers. Yeah. Who come from a time when it was, like, everything— No one was ever going to have it better than the baby boomers who came in when it was like college was cheap, uh, the economy was booming, America had won, and you had these two strains where it was like the hippie liberals who were like, oh, we're going to totally change the world, and then the more the kind of like silent majority people who were like, actually, we're going to pull it back. And neither avenue is really satisfying. And that is, you know, the kind of like Hangover of the counterculture is a theme that they tap into in in True Detective, and you've got these both the right and left wing strains of the baby boomers, just kind of both looking around and being like, "I don't recognize this world we were we thought we had won, and yet I don't recognize this world that we've created for ourselves."
1: Yeah, and I think because Vietnam was so much different than World War II because of who was conscripted to fight, you know, and who wound up actually fighting the Vietnam War, what happened to those guys when they came back, and one of the most fascinating lines in the first two episodes, without giving anything away, is Mahershal Mm -hmm. Ali's character saying, I used to think that my life was basically, this I'm paraphrasing, was divided between before and after the war, and then he goes on to say, but now I know it was divided into before and after this case, and... That should just give you some sense of how cool this season is. I'm really excited to be doing this show yeah, with Jason. Uh, Sunday nights on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. You can watch us on the Flat Circle, a True Detective astro show. And then the audio of that show will be on the Recapables on Sunday night, So you can also listen to the podcast version.
0: You'll be able to watch and listen to us lose our sanity thread by thread. <laughs> it's
1: already
2: happened a over couple of times. <laughs> it really has over, over the, the course our of this text messages
1: probably, I hope that I never get like subpoenaed. <laughs> It's very uh, when Chris sends you a, the the cover
0: page of a congressional report about Satanism. That is a vibe. That is a text to it's get a
1: big mood. That is a vibe. Okay, thanks so much for joining me. Thank Ed. you. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Showtime and the acclaimed comedy series Smilf. Bridget Bird is a 20-something single mom from South Boston doing her best to juggle life, work, and relationships, all while staying true to herself and creating a better life for her son Larry. Starring Frankie Shaw, Rosie O'Donnell, and Connie Britton. Don't miss the return of Smilf. New episodes start streaming January 20th, only on Showtime. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection for a new smart home at your service, customized for your lifestyle. With a secure ADT smart home, you can set up custom automations unique to your home, like doorman service, which can unlock your door for packages, friends, or your kids. Your system can also automatically do things like lock the doors and set the thermostat when you leave, even close your garage door from virtually anywhere. All controlled from the ADT app are the sound of your voice and backed by 24-7 protection, and there is no need to worry about installing and configuring your system. ADT will D-I-F-Y do it for you. ADT will set up your home with multiple smart home devices and security features like indoor and outdoor cameras, locks, lights, and garage door control, and even video doorbells. Visit ADT.com smart to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. ADT.com smart. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Microsoft Surface. Let's talk about something super exciting, guys like the newest member of the Microsoft Surface family, the Surface Pro 6. Now faster and more powerful than ever before, so you can get even more done whether it's from your office, at the airport, or on your couch. Take the keyboard off and draw on it easily, or snap it back on and type on it like a laptop. With up to 13 and a half hours of battery life and the new 8th Gen Intel Core processor, you can work how you want to, for as long as you want to, wherever work takes you. Now, I am joined by the ringers, Miles Surrey. Miles, what's up, man? Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Miles is calling in from New York City. So he's outside of my sphere of influence. Like, he doesn't have to deal with me wild eyed talking about 1980s true crime and and weird fiction and ACDC records and Satanism. So I don't even know, like, Miles, out in Gen Pop, how are people feeling about the return of True Detective? (laughs)
2: You know what? It's hard to say because my TD experience was basically just being holed up in a dorm in college, watching it with all the lights <laughs> off and wondering if, you know, watching them back to back, I was like, wow, this is maybe. You know, one of the best shows I've ever seen. And then I started season two and I was like, oh, OK, this is all just a practical joke.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, but for but when you're like even like around the office, like I, don't, I know that on New York in New York City, it's not like somebody's coming up to you on the A train. and You're like and they're like, hey, two detectives coming back. But I'm curious as to whether or not, you, you know, you feel like there's a lot of anticipation
2: for it. You know, it's hard to say because I think the fact that there's not a lot of exciting stuff coming out in January, I think the only other big thing might be Chris Pine's miniseries I Am The Night yeah. on TNT. Maybe some people are excited about Marvel's The Punisher Season 2, but... um <laughs> Are you one of those people? Uh, I'm not, okay. but I saw what Jigsaw looks like and uh I guess I'm sort of intrigued. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so I think for, for people who are into sort of, you know... Especially crime dramas, True Detective is this uh, shining beacon in a vast emptiness that, you know, if it lives up to the potential of season one or even gets close to it, because it does seem like from what I've seen so far from the first two episodes, it's a bit of a retreat of season one, but, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing because that was a really good season of Yeah,
1: Pelbridge. it definitely is is going back to some of its roots. It's one of the most successful things, I think, that it does in this season. And I, I do want to talk to you about the much maligned second season. But one of the things <laughs> it does is it limits the point of view to these two characters so that you're discovering evidence and and breaks in the case, so to speak, along with them and you're also watching their trajectory over the course of these these different timelines whereas season 2 was this kind of sprawling thing that took a few episodes even just to like start to tie characters together and you had to spend like an entire hour kind of like, okay, now Taylor Kitsch is going to be crying in his trailer and his mom's going to beat him up. And then Rachel McAdams is going to knife some wooden statue and Vince Vaughn is just going to mutter to himself. And it was a much more like lumbering season where season three, it really tightens the focus. And I think that that's where once you kind of limit yourself and give yourself those parameters with which to play in, Pizzolatto can do all sorts of Pizzolatto things.
2: Yeah, and I think even though the fact that they're messing with three timelines at the moment with Mahershala in 1980, 1990, and then closer to the present day. I think it might be 2015, yeah. according to the show. Yeah, and unlike Westworld, I don't think it's trying to be, you know, it's not throwing out the timelines to to throw us off the track. I think Mahershala's character probably isn't necessarily an unreliable narrator, even though he has dementia in the latest timeline. I think what we're seeing of his is is as, as genuine as we can get, even if he can't remember, you know, and he can't put all the pieces together. I think it's something that's supposed to be a lot more, um, a, a lot more digestible and something that doesn't necessarily have all this labyrinth plotting that basically turned everyone off the second season.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the third season is received too because the internet's so much different. You know, I it, mm-hmm. it's not like when the first season came on, I guess that was 2014? Yeah. 2014, it's not like we were living in that much of an innocent time. But I think that a lot of people would agree that the internet has become increasingly, like, a, a tough hang <laughs> as the years have gone <laughs> by. And there was an extension, I think, you know, True Detective was sort of this extension of uh, of the show Lost's online culture surrounding it, where you had people kind of trying to solve True Detective as it was going along. And it, at the time, there was some pushback against that that kind of fandom where people were like, man, don't ruin it for me. Or like, I don't want you to figure this out before the detectives do. That's not, that's not why I'm watching it. And I, I, I I have sympathy for both sides. I think that as Jason and I have been doing the show, even just the two episodes that we've shot already, we kind of like couldn't help but feel ourselves kind of caught up in the like decoding of the show for you when you're watching something like this, how much of it is just, I'm just going to enjoy what I see on the screen and how much of it is going deeper than that.
2: Well, I think with True Detective, at least, I I had, you know, I was afforded the chance to just sort of watch both seasons back-to-back sometime in in 2015. Uh, Because, yeah, I think the the second season came out, I think, in the summer of 2015. But for me, I I think it was a a benefit not being part of that sort of, like, Reddit, uh, overall, like, internet discussion about the show. I think... You can appreciate like a, a drama in a different way, much in the same way with, with, uh, Homecoming, Sam Eshmael's show. I feel like if yeah. that was thrown out in little half hour installments over eight weeks, I, I don't think it would be received in the same way because people would be trying, be trying to decrypt it or think what's going to happen based on the podcast that it was based off of. And I think. The fact that the third season is going to have these two episodes and then go one episode a week, I think it'll lend itself to more of this kind of Reddit theorizing about what, what happened, you know, what, what happened with these missing kids. But I, I hope it doesn't take away just from the, the narrative of the show. Cause I think, again, that's something with Westworld, especially with, with all the timelines and, you know, who's a reliable narrator. I think that sort of takes away from the storytelling itself when, you know, especially for a crime show, it should be about the story and less so about solving it because you you want to be invested in it without thinking you know I'm gonna solve it before these characters do.
1: yeah, I think that I, I mean I, I'm probably writing the tomorrow's headlines today a little bit too much, but one thing that I'm gonna be fascinated about on like a kind of more of a thirty thousand foot view level here is let's say the season is successful, whether or not this show It becomes like basically a five, six, seven season kind of self-sustaining franchise for HBO rather than what I I think we kind of thought was going to happen, which was one miracle season that we ascribed a lot of the credit to Carrie Fukunaga and a lot to McConaughey and Harrelson as much as Pizzolatto was the author of that season. Mm -hmm. And then this kind of train wreck of a second season that even its most ardent defenders had to kind of defend ironically after a while.
2: Yeah, I mean I think the the defense of Detective Season Two is that You know, it's trash, but it's really entertaining trash. I think Colin Farrell's character, Ray Velcoro, is the perfect avatar for these, you know, and I, and I'm kind of a true detective season two defender after going back and revisiting a lot of the Velcoro scenes for this, uh, for this Chad Velcoro, uh, manifesto. And yeah, it's just like, it is genuinely entertaining, but in a a way that I don't think Pizzolazzo intended. He doesn't come across like the kind of guy who has a, who uh, has a sense of humor in the same way. <laughs> you don't that, think that, so, huh? You know, I don't think so. You know, I, you know some of those uh, Hollywood Reporter covers where he's just, you know, in a dark room staring at the wall, you know, it's it's hard to tell. But, you know, like scenes were raised just doing like, like a flowers bag worth of Coke yeah. and, and an entire bottle of tequila. And then, you know going up to this bully and his dad and he's like, you know, you're 12 years old and already evil as fuck and starts beating the dad with brass knuckles. It's it's hard to take it's it It's kind seriously. of incredible. There, that, yeah. that
1: and like the, uh, I remember watching, I can't remember, I think it's the finale. Is Is the finale when Vince Vaughn does his long walk across the desert?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's the 90-minute finale. Yeah, and I exhausting. remember watching
1: that and just being like, I can't believe this is where we've wound <laughs> up with this show. Yeah, you wrote uh, early contender for blog post of the year with uh, your lost emails to Chad Velcoro, Ray Velcoro's son in, <laughs> in season two, uh, who Ray has a very complicated relationship with, but as he is being uh, turned into Swiss cheese... In, i guess is that supposed to be like big Sur where he is at the end of season two i i don't know <laughs>
2: he's somewhere in I, I don't think he's ever getting clear. shot yeah. at but he manages he, to, he loses that service though yeah but he manages to he's trying to uh send an email to his son right yeah he he so he's in the car beforehand like he's driving away because he's like oh no I'm not gonna make it and so he like leaves this voice recording for his son, but it, you know I don't know why. I just why didn't you send it when you're on the free rig, my guy? Like <laughs> you, you've got service there. Why are you waiting till you're like there, you've there's been shot be a and you're in the forest somewhere, man? Yeah, seriously, come on, get v- get Verizon to a covers you. Boy.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, but that you sort of got it like the inherent absurdity of season two, and yeah, I, I hope people give it a second chance. I mean, I really think that. Especially with Saulnier directing these first two episodes, it visually returns to form. It, it gets back to like the right tone. I think the chemistry between Marshall Ali and Carmen Ojogo is really, really great. I think they have a really interesting relationship that I'll be very curious to see where it goes over the course of the season. Dorf is doing a lot. He's got a lot of hair, <laughs> hair stuff going on in the nineteen eighty timeline.
2: Yeah, he's Dorfin.
1: Yeah, Dorf is like such an interesting. I don't know if you call him like a, a underappreciated asset. Or distressed asset, or what he would be. (laughs) But he was, he really had like the comeback juice for when he was in somewhere. And then it never really, it never really clicked for him.
2: Yeah. I watched Blade a couple months ago, you know, Steven Dorff's iconic villain. I forget his name, but, you know, I kind of miss seeing the guy. Yeah. So I'm glad he's back.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it, you have to think that like in a, in a world where like there's so much stuff being made, if Dorf is only showing up once every few years, like I don't know, I mean may, maybe there's a, a completely good explanation for it, but he's good in this. You know, I, I just think across the board, you just have like really solid performances. I, I'm really excited to see where it goes this season.
2: Yeah, I'm actually I'm kind of bummed that Saulnié only directed the first two episodes because I really like you know the vibe he's giving off. It kind of reminded me of his new film on Netflix, Hold the Dark. Yeah, really creepy, a little. Uh, you know, a little ethereal. There's some some creepy masks involved, which I feel like isn't a spoiler. Or not not masks, but like um, like imagery. And, yeah, and pagan, stuff There's related. some there's some yeah, masks. Some pagan yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah there's ma- some pagan masks, stuff. Yeah. There's
1: some like pre-Christian weird shit in Alaska happening. It's basically a yeah. story about Jeffrey Wright is brought into this small Alaska town to investigate the disappearance of of a kid who they think was taken by wolves and. Honestly, all manner of crazy shit happens after that,
2: but... That's it's a, an all-time shootout in that movie.
1: And one of the great shootouts I've seen in a really long time in a movie. Yeah, for sure.
2: What else are you kind of digging on right now? Well, actually, so it's kind of funny. I I took like a, a little vacation right after Christmas, and I kind of wanted to unplug a bit, but, you know, I couldn't help watching stuff. So I ended up watching all of Planet Earth 2 and Blue Planet 2. Nice. Yeah, I just, you know, I really wanted to get into that stuff, and it was... It was great. It was not as, you know, relaxing as you'd think. You know, the animals are always doing one of two things, which is uh finding food or finding a mate. And both <laughs> things are usually quite dangerous. <laughs> it's uh kind of the opposite of the uh Black Mirror Bandersnatch vibe. You sure. know, there's only two options and, you know, you're probably going to die. So <laughs> it's not great. But it was really interesting. And, you know, both series did a great job uh threading together just sort of the natural beauty of you know our planet and the animals that inhabit it which is you know like really important messages about basically how we're you know threatening a lot of these environments and it's not like all is lost right now but we do need to make some significant changes if we're going to st- save stuff like you know the coral reefs and like animals living on our coasts and our cities and stuff so uh yeah i, d- I didn't mean to go on no <laughs> it's this, a very uh, inspiring environment, environment we're rant.
1: usually yeah. not so environmentally conscious <laughs> on the watch i I'm just like filling up, you know, like trash bags with full of plastic bottles while I record. But that's like, yeah, I mean, like I've actually like, I love having that on in the background. I don't always like watch it like as like an aggressive viewer, but it's definitely like a favorite passive watch is just to have one of those things on.
2: Yeah, no, between that and watching like basically the spread of Premier League games that happened over the past couple of weeks, stressful in very different ways, but uh, rewarding viewing. My heart goes out to you as a Chelsea fan, really seriously. (laughs) <laughs> um, we'll find a striker. We'll yeah. find one.
1: Miles, thank you so much for joining me on The Watch. Uh, we'll be talking to you. We'll definitely have to have you on again at some point during season three to talk a little bit about where things are going. Sounds good. So, thank you to my guests, Jason Concepcion and Miles Suri You can read Miles' blog post about Chad Velcoro. The emails to Chad Velcoro. It's very funny. It's on the ringer.com right now. Again, me and Jason C have a true detective after show called The Flat Circle, which is going up on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Anywhere pretty much you watch video, you can watch that Sundays after the episodes of True Detective air. So Sunday night, we're giving you two because they're airing two episodes of True Detective season three on Sunday night. And then going forward, you'll also be able to hear that as a podcast on the Recapables feed. So uh, send out links for that when you whenever we get them. And then also I'll send out a link for the Spotify playlist that I made for True Detective. Andy will no doubt be back Monday because I, I just believe in his ability to heal himself. Uh, and we'll touch on True Detective Season 3 and maybe some other stuff on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend, Branskis. Today's episode of The Watch is sponsored by ADT. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection and controlled from the ADT app or the sound of your voice. Set up custom automations unique to your home to automatically do things like lock the doors and set the thermostat when you leave. Visit ADT.com smart to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Smilf. Returning to Showtime with all new episodes starting January 20th, Bridget Bird is redefining what it means to be young, single, and a mom. Raw, honest, and relatable. Smilf stars Frankie Shaw, Rosie O'Donnell, and Connie Britton only on Showtime.